if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts as we continue our study through the Word. You remember that Paul and his missionary team had been in Thessalonica and that the Jews rose up against them. They came to the house of Jason where the team had been staying and they dragged Jason before the magistrate. And you remember that Paul departed from there. He heads to Athens. And you remember in Athens, Athens is the educational center. It is the, the philosophical center. And this is where all the Greek philosophers would take and, and debate. And Paul brings to them the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the promised one, that he rose from the dead in fulfillment of the very scriptures themselves. And you'll remember what their response was. They mocked him. And so there were some who took and received Christ, but they had become so intelligent that they became as fools, uh, replacing God's uh, truth with man's uh, wisdom. And, and so we see that that is a, a great challenge even to this day in our educational system. We have the truth of God's word and we have the, uh, the wisdom of man and we see that they are contrary one to the other. We see that Paul withdraws from there and and he heads now to Corinth. And Corinth was a, an amazing city. It was thriving in its commerce and its business, but it was also known as one of the most immoral cities uh, of that day. And so Paul moves from, from the seat of education into just the seat now of depravity of man. And it is in that darkness there that he brings the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he brings the truth of God's word. We pick it up here in this, the 18th chapter, and, and it says that after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And so he is now in Corinth. Silas and, and Timothy, they are still in Macedonia. He had sent for them to join him when he was in Athens. They do not return yet, and Paul moves now down to Corinth. It, it says that he found and he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. Now, when you grew up in Jewish, your father taught you a, a craft. And so here, Paul had been raised up, had been trained up as a, a tent maker. He arrives in Corinth and he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila are also tent makers and, and discovers here that they have been put out of Rome. The division between the Jews about whether Jesus is the Messiah or not, the contentions between the, the Christians and the Jews brought Claudius to the point where he just expelled them all out of Rome. You, you guys all depart. Take your nonsense. Take your arguments and, and go elsewhere. And so Priscilla and Aquila were caught up in that, uh, in that wave, in that sweep. And 
And so they arrive in Corinth and, uh, and Paul makes their acquaintance. It's the beginning of a great friendship in the New Testament we will see that, uh, that they have. And, uh, and so it says in verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Paul would discuss and debate and press the truth of the gospel in the synagogues. And, and he would do it in such a way in which he could demonstrate, he could show them from the scriptures how Jesus is uh, uh, the Messiah. And both Jews and Gentiles, they, they they would hear the truth of the ministry of Paul and and it says in verse 5 when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is uh, the Christ but when they opposed him and blasphemed he shook his garments and said to them your blood be upon your own heads I am clean from now on I will go to the Gentiles Silas and Timothy now have returned back. They had stayed behind in Thessalonica. They join him now down in Corinth. And, and Paul continues to minister, continues to testify that Jesus is the Messiah. But it got to the point where there were those that believed and now those that opposed. And so those that opposed began to become more vocal in their opposition. They blasphemed against uh, Jesus and and we see now that Paul says to them that uh, that I have told you the truth I have shared eternal life with you and and you are rejecting it and and so the consequences of that are are your own God gave each and every one of us free will you can't force anybody into the kingdom of God amen have you ever experienced that? Have you ever wanted so badly for someone to come to the knowledge of the Lord that, that you, you try to force? And, and what ends up happening is, is that you can cause damage to the relationship, to the friendship that you have. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, do not give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And, and so you can present the Gospel. A person either becomes receptive or they get to the point where they say, I don't want to hear any more about your Jesus and and so there is that line and if that line gets crossed then there will be damage to the relationship and and this is what I think Jesus was talking about when he said don't cast your your pearls the the, the valuable truth of the gospel before someone that's not willing to listen whose ears and hearts are are closed and and so here we see that Paul got to that and point and and so he just withdraws he retreats I have told you the truth and now that's between you and God what you do with that truth and and so Paul is going to move to the Gentiles now his pattern was always bringing the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles uh, here. And, uh, and so he now is going to minister. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. But 
once again, you can feel now the opposition that Paul met in his ministry. He, he, he would go into these areas and he would get to this place. And then many times he was dragged into courts. Many times he was beaten, dragged out of town and, and all sorts of things. And, and so Paul now has gotten to that point again in Corinth. Many people are believing, but at the same time, here comes that opposition once again and and it tells us now in verse 7 and he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice one who worshiped God whose house was next door to the synagogue and then Crispus the ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized so right next to the synagogue where Paul had been going repeatedly was the house of Justice and so Justice who, who owns this house he gets saved and Paul begins to to work from the house next to the synagogue we see God's provision when one door closes another one uh, opens up a form and then we're told that Crispus who who now was the head of the synagogue he gets uh, saved as well and so we see the gospel continuing to go forward, both Jews and Gentiles getting saved. And, uh, and it says in verse 9, And now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And so Paul now is ministered to personally by the Lord. The Lord comes and tells him, do not be what? Do not be afraid, okay? Do not be afraid. Why did the Lord tell, tell him that? Because there was an anxiety and anxiousness for everything that Paul had come through. Now he was beginning to, to battle in this arena, in this area. And so the Lord sweeps in and ministers him. Do not be afraid and do not keep silent you see his fear now would be to continue to press the gospel forwards because of what the opposition is going to end up doing to him and and the history of what he has experienced already don't keep silent and then he tells them that no one is going to attack you and harm you. You are not going to be harmed in, in Corinth. And, and he tells them that there is a, a great fellowship that is here. There's a great number of believers. And, and so the way the Lord comes to Paul in his time of need ministers to him and strengthens him. I find that to be true in our own lives. That when you need a touch from the Lord, that the Lord is there. That God ministers to us and he sees us and he knows just exactly what we're going through. But on top of that, he knows just what you need to help you through what you are going through. He gives us grace and that grace on a daily basis to be able to sustain us and endure us and to help us to accomplish the things that God has called us into. You are never alone and you are never left with your own resources and God is there to strengthen and to help each and every one of us. And it says that Paul continued now, uh, look with me here, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. 
a year and a half, uh, he still stays there, strong in the ministry, and teaching and preaching in Christ. And that's the longest stretch of time that we see Paul stay in any of the churches that he founded. And so there in Corinth, assured by the Lord, he continues steadfast and strong, and, uh, and he stays there a year uh, and a half. Now it says in verse 12, when Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. So we see the Jews now are seeking a court injunction. We see that they are seeking a ruling against Paul. This is significant now because there is this attempt to, to try and to get a verdict against Paul in the government. If they are successful in that, then they can use that as precedent every place else that that Paul goes. Now, it's interesting because that tactic is a tactic that's used by the ACLU. The ACLU will come into a small case in a remote area and bring in a large team of attorneys in order to win a judgment. They're not concerned with that judgment. They're concerned with the precedent that it sets that they can then take that precedent and use it throughout the rest of the country and in other cases. And, and so here we see now the Jews are seeking uh, to stop the spread of Christianity and through the courts and through the, uh, the governor here. And so it says now in verse 14, and when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. In other words, if he was breaking the law, then there would be a reason for me to hear this case. The accusation was that Paul was telling them to do things contrary to the law. The truth is Paul never taught anybody to do anything contrary to the law. You'll remember when Jesus was asked about paying taxes, he said, render to, uh, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the thing to God the things that are gods and and so we see that here they have come trying to frame uh, now uh, Paul as someone that's inciting people against the laws of Rome but those are trumped up in charges and so here we see that Gallio brings that out there's there's been no one harmed there's no wicked crime that hasn't taken place he says, but if it is a question, verse 15, of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. He says, this is a religious matter, and the government has no affairs in, in your religion and your religious disputes one with another. And so he dismisses the case. In other words, he won't even hear the case to rule on it. And so he drove them, it says, from the judgment and see through through the case uh, out and and then all the Greeks took Sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue now remember that Crispus had been the ruler of the synagogue but he became a Christian so Sosthenes is the replacement of him there in the synagogue and so Sosthenes was behind bringing this in case 
through the governor. And, and so Sosthenes is thrown out of court. And it says that they took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Gallio looks the other way, and they take and give this guy a thumping now, you know, as they cast him uh, out. And, uh, and so... Verse 18, it says that, so Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and he had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned uh, with the Jews. So we see that it's time for Paul to head back. He He's going to head back to Jerusalem for a feast that is there, and he's going to then head to his home church. He, he shaves his head. The shaving of the head was uh, uh, the demonstration of a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was a, a time of just special consecration to the Lord or of thanksgiving to the Lord. You would restrict yourself. It was a period of fasting. You would fast from alcohol, from wine, from anything grapes. You weren't allowed to eat anything that had the fruit of grapes uh, in it. And and it was a time of just giving yourself over in a special way to the Lord and drawing close to the Lord. You would shave your head at the beginning of that consecration. And you could consecrate yourself for as long as you wanted to. You could do a week or a month or, uh, or a year or for whatever period of time that you wanted. But the time was measured uh, by the length that your hair grew. And so what would happen is, is that you would start by shaving it. And, and then for whatever period of time you were committed to the uh, Lord would be demonstrated by that length. And then when you were done with your Nazarite vow, you would shave your head again. But what they would do is they would take the hair now that represented the length of time that you had been consecrated to the Lord, and they would bring it to Jerusalem and they would burn it. They would offer it up as a burnt uh, offering before the Lord. This was my time of being consecrated uh, unto you, Lord. And so Paul there in Centuria, now Centuria is the port city to Corinth, so he moves to head back on the, the ship. He, he now consecrates himself uh, to the Lord and he begins his journey back. Now, you remember at the beginning of this missionary trip how Paul had wanted to go to Ephesus. Remember how the Spirit wouldn't let him go to Asia and then he goes up and hears the Macedonian call. Well, on his way back, he stops at Ephesus. The Spirit allows him now to head into that city and Priscilla and Aquila, who had been with them in Corinth now for this year and a half plus. Uh, now they come with him and, and they head over to Ephesus uh, uh, as well. He's going to leave them in Ephesus as he now continues his journey back to Jerusalem. But in the meantime, uh, he comes into the synagogues and he, he reasons with the Jews that are there in Ephesus. And, and it says that, and when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he, he sailed from Ephesus. So when Paul is teaching and instructing the people there in Ephesus, and they don't want him to leave. 
And Paul says, I have to get to Jerusalem for the feast, but afterwards I'll come back to you, God willing. Uh, and so everything in our lives is always God willing, amen? You know, no one knows tomorrow and uh, what will happen the next day, but uh, Lord willing, uh, we will continue on with our plans. Man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps, amen? And so we are directed by the Lord. And so he sails now from uh, Ephesus and and it says and he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church he went down to Antioch and and so interesting the geography here and the topography he lands in Caesarea and then it says that he went uh, up to the church means he went to Jerusalem now Regardless of your geography, Jerusalem is always talked about as going up to Jerusalem because it sits on top of Mount Zion. We see Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, so technically he would have geographically gone down to it. And, and then it says that he went down to his church. Well, that was actually up geographically. That's Antioch. And so you have the up and the down, the topography. Okay, never mind. But anyway. <laughs> that's uh, all contained in that verse there in verse 22 it says and after he had spent some time there he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening the disciples and so he spends a little bit of time back at his home church there in Antioch and it's time to get back out onto the mission field so he goes through the area of Galatia goes through Phrygia and it says strengthening all the disciples we see while Paul is a great evangelist Paul is uh, also a discipler He's not merely making converts, but he is raising them up and training them up. And it says, and in, in strengthening the disciples. How do you strengthen disciples? What, what, what did that include? What did that mean? Well, I believe that the first thing that he was teaching them how to do was pray. How important prayer is. That, that Christianity is not a religion. It's not about rules. You'll remember that Judaism was all about the law and the keeping of the law. But the focus of Christianity is on our relationship with the Lord. And, and we see that underneath the law, obedience was the key. But in a relationship, communication is the key. If you're in a marriage and you have a healthy marriage, it's because there's good communication that is going on. And, and here we see that if we're going to be in relationship with God, then we're going to have to have good communication with God. And, and so prayer, the, the essence and the importance of prayer. You remember that the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You see, because it's not about repeating a set number of words over and over and over and, and over or chants or, or sounds. This, this is how the pagans pray. But we see that God is interested in relationship with you. He wants to know how you are doing. He wants you to express yourself uh, to him in communicating with him. And, and so the importance of um, prayer. God, 
wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to do life with you. And I think that if you were from this moment on till the day that you took your last breath, if you never sinned again, if you kept every bit of righteousness fulfilled, but you never talked to God that entire stretch of time, you completely missed the, the whole point of what God is desiring in our lives. I think that sometimes we're more concerned with, uh, with obeying God than being in relationship, being in communication with them. So Paul would be teaching them about the, the importance of, uh, of prayer. But I think that in every relationship, you, there is doing the talking and then there's doing the, the listening as well. And, uh, and so in our relationship with God, he wants to speak into our lives as well as to listen to us here. Have you ever, have you ever known somebody that whenever you get together with them, they spend the entire time talking about themselves? And then like you'll interject something about yourself and they'll say, oh, wow, that's interesting. That reminds me of when I was and right back into the entire thing is just simply about them. Well, in our relationship with God, God wants us to be talking to him, but he also wants to talk into our lives, wants to speak into our lives as well so that we have healthy, balanced communication with God. And, and God speaks to us and communicates with us through the Word of God. And so the importance of being in the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. And, and so Paul would have been instructing these disciples about a healthy relationship with God out from underneath the law and now uh, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He would teach them about the importance of worship. How important worship is and what worship does for us. We, we start all of our services with worship. Why? Because worship gets our eyes off of ourselves and gets our eyes uh, up to the Lord. When we come into services, so oftentimes we're carrying the, the challenges, the difficulties, the problems, the pressures. We're wondering what we're going to do about this circumstance and this situation. And, and then the music starts and we begin to worship. And do you know what? We're just brought into the presence of God. In His presence is the fullness of God. And so worship gets our eyes off of ourselves and, and gets our eyes onto the Lord. He would have talked to them about the importance of community, about the gathering together of the fellowship. The Bible tells us, do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Jesus said that when two or more are gathered in my name, that, that I am there in the midst. And yes, you can uh, worship individually anywhere that you want, but we were made to gather together. Iron is going to sharpen iron to encourage and to exhort one another. We have different gifts and we bring the gifts to bear together in the body of Christ. And so Paul would have been explaining how these things uh, work, how different that is in the new covenant than uh, underneath the old covenant, the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit he would have been explaining those and, and the way in which God gives to us so that we can minister to the, uh, the church and, uh, and the importance of fellowship and communion. The importance of communion. Jesus told us to gather together to remember 
what he did for us. I believe that communion is such an important time because what communion does is it sends a single clear message. God loves you. God loves you. That is what communion is all about. Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this and he lays down his life for his friend. It can get hard in this lifetime and there are times when we can feel that nobody loves us, nobody understands us, that I'm all alone, that I'm going through it. And you come to communion you realize how much God loves you, how much God cares about you. That he chose the greatest demonstration of love so that we would always know that. And so these would be the things that, that Paul would be going over as he is strengthening and teaching them how to have a, a healthy, vital relationship uh, with God. He went back now, strengthening, it says, all the disciples. And it says in verse 24, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Alexandria was in Egypt and Alexandria was one of the great learning centers of that day. It boasted one of the largest libraries, uh, the books that were in Alexandria. And, uh, so here we see that, uh, that now Apollos came from Alexandria, educated and eloquent, uh, it said. And, and he comes uh, now to Ephesus. Remember that Paul had departed from Ephesus, but a Aquila and Priscilla were there in the Ephesus and, and Aquila and Priscilla run into Apollos and it says this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. So we see here that his knowledge of Christ was incomplete. We see that what he did know, he was accurate in what he knew, but he had an incomplete understanding now of, uh, of Jesus. And, and it says, and so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They, they helped him to uh, understand, to fill in some of the, uh, the gaps. The, the Bible says that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To grow in the grace means the experience of walking with Christ and, and having Christ uh, the center of our life. That's the, the grace of the Lord. And the knowledge, the knowledge is understanding Christ, his ministry, his foreshadowings, his fulfillment of scriptures and of prophecy. The Bible says that we should be ready in season and out to give a, uh, an explanation for the hope that lies within us, the reason for the hope that lies within us. And so there, there is an element of learning the scriptures that is so important in learning Christ. Apollos was uh, amazing, a great disciple. He was fervent for the things of the Lord, but his knowledge of the things of the Lord needed a little bit of an increase. Aquila and Priscilla, they come alongside. They had been partnering with Paul 
Paul, the apostle there in Corinth for that year and a half plus some. So you can imagine what two years of seminary with the apostle Paul would be like and how well grounded you would be in the the scriptures uh, after that. And, And so they now take and pass that knowledge along to Apollos and And so verse 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia back uh, over, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed uh, through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is uh, the Christ. And, And so... Here we see that Apollos served effectively and, uh, and he vigorously refutes the, the Jews uh, publicly and he is used by God uh, mightily. It says that he was showing them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to turn with me back to verse 5 back to where it says that when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia that Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. The exact same phrase, that Jesus is the Christ. The question of who is Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus to to be? And what relationship do you have to Jesus? I believe is the single most important question that a person can answer in their life. To pull it back to a a bigger question, even more pulled back, what's the purpose of life? Why are you here? What is life? And what are we trying to accomplish in our life? Where are we trying to get to? Where are you trying to get to? They say that it's the human race. Are we racing each other? Are we competing with each other in this race? And if so, what's the destination? Where are we racing to? Is it about keeping up with the Joneses? Is it about having and feeling good about yourself, feeling like you're successful or that uh, you are getting your needs uh, met? Is our life just simply a collection of experiences, of, of good experience, adventures, adrenaline, and, and fun, and uh, dragged down by the sorrows and the times of difficulty and hardship? And is it just all mashed together? Do we try and increase these experiences and minimize these experiences so that the, the quality of our life is better? Do, do we try and post everything on the internet of all of the good stuff in our life and try and make everybody jealous of the life that, that we have? And do we seeking popularity or friends or, or are we wanting more likes and more followers than, than anybody else? Is it about comparing the quality of your life to the quality of uh, other social media is all about? comparing your life to everybody else's life and and where does it measure up and and when your life measures up against others you feel good about yourself and and then when you fall short of others you don't feel so good about yourself and 
Where's it all going? What's the purpose? Who am I? My identity is tied up in the answers to those questions about what I am doing here. And, and I want you to know the answers beyond a shadow of a doubt to those questions. Paul wanted every single person to know the answers to those questions beyond a, a shadow of a doubt. Who you are. You were created by God. You were created in the image and likeness of God. Before you were ever even born, God knew you. He was the one that chose your eyes, your, your smile, your intelligence, your sense of humor. He put it all together and, and he has loved you. And his desire for placing you on this earth is one thing, that you would know him and be connected to him. You see, that's the whole purpose. He gave you free will to be able to choose whether you want to have a relationship with God or whether you don't want a relationship with God. And whatever you decide when you breathe your last breath, that God is going to grant that to you. You are going to have that for all eternity. And this life is but a vapor. It is nothing in comparison to eternity. But we are given this life to choose whether or not we want to be in relationship with them. Now, being in relationship with them has all sorts of terms, and, and being separated from him has all sorts of terms, but there's two, there's two realities. We're either connected relationally to him or we're not. And you see, sin entered into the world, and sin broke our relationship with God. And... God, knowing that, sent a solution. He sent the Savior of the world to wash away our sins so that we now could be joined together in intimacy and in communion. Eternal life isn't something that happens after you die. It's the state of entering into relationship with God. And when we do die, we just change our location, but we don't change our relationship. And so Jesus uh, came willing to demonstrate the love of God to save us, to rescue us so that we would have a, an avenue back uh, to him. The Bible says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not, uh, not even uh, one. None of us can, can earn by merit through obedience to God's love entrance into the, the kingdom. You see, what is sin? Why does God tell us not to sin? See, I see it through the lens of relationship. Sin is every single thing that's going to hurt our relationship with God. And God says, don't hurt our relationship is the most important thing. I love you and I want us to be close. And so don't do these things that will harm our relationship. And, and if you do these things, these are the things that will bless our relationship. In every single relationship, there's actions that are going to tear down the relationship and there's actions that are going to build up the relationship. And so obeying God isn't so much about, about keeping rules and regulations. It's about 
focusing on the health of our relationship with God and he's covetous over us. He, he loves you. He wants the best relationship that, that he can have with each and every one of us. But that intimacy of relationship, that eternal life begins when, uh, when we ask him to come into uh, our life and when we accept the gift of salvation that's through in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul wanted every single person to know, that you have the opportunity before you to enter into that eternal offer that God has given, and, and that is the beginning of life. It is the beginning of eternal life with God. And so... I couldn't end this service without giving everybody a chance to, to enter into that eternal life, that gift of salvation in Christ. And, uh, and so we are going to worship uh, through one song uh, here. And, and this is your time. It's your time to decide what you want to do in your relationship with God. You're not going to get to heaven because you attend church. You're not going to get to heaven because you read the scriptures. You're not going to get to heaven because you, uh, you pray. You are going to get to heaven when you have your sins washed by the only one that can wash your sins. And when God places his Holy Spirit inside of you because you recognize that you can't get there any other way. And the minute that you do that, this is what you're doing. You're believing God. You see, God says there is no other way. And the world tells you, ah, oh, everybody gets to heaven. The world tells you, be a nice person. Be better than everybody else. You'll get to heaven. But that, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so when you believe that, that's faith. And we're saved by that and believe, by believing what God said. And that God is who he says uh, that he is. And he will sweep into your life and your life will never be the same ever again. For you will have stepped into the eternal life that is that free gift from God. Maybe you've never understood this before. Could have had it explained a hundred times, but there's a, a moment in our lives when it clicks, when, uh, when it just makes sense where where there was a resistance before and now there is an attraction. That's the Holy Spirit confirming and, and drawing. And so if today is the day that, that it clicked for you, then just stand up and come. And at the end, I will lead you in a simple prayer. It's not hard. It's just something no one else can do for you except you. And so this is your time to respond to God's invitation. If you want to receive Christ as we worship, just stand up and come. Father, your word tells us that when we seek you, we will find you. And when we step close to you, that you will draw near to us. Lord, look upon these hearts today that, Lord, that are desiring more of you. Lord, that are seeking that deeper relationship with you. Lord, you know what's going on in their hearts and in their lives. And God, we pray that today would be a day that you indwell in them in a powerful way that you would sweep in and affirm how much you love them, Lord. And Father, that you would make yourself so tangible, so real to them today, Lord. 
Help us to keep you first in our life, God, how easy it is for us to be consumed with, with other things. But Lord, today is a day that we stand and acknowledge that we will put you first in our lives. And so God bless them now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.